Coming up on this week's show, Christina Piltz is here as part of the GRL blog tour. Plus, Joyfully Jay recommends Heart of the Steel and much more. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 93 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. This week's episode is brought to you in part by viewers just like you. For more information on how you can help support this show, we'll have that in a few moments. Mm -hmm. Coming up shortly. Yes. Um, we got a lot to talk about this week. Shall we get to it? I think we should. All right. So, exciting news. After months of preparation, months and months, yes. uh, Tracker Hacker, which is the first book in the Codename Winner series, officially goes on pre-sale this very week. Oh, cool. At Harmony Inc. and other various, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, blah, 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 blah. Various across retailers. The webs. Various retailers. And I'll have a link in the show notes for anybody who might want to, you know, pick up a pre-order copy. It'll be out. On October 17th. Awesome news. Yes. Very excited about that. Mm -hmm. This week we also did some traveling. Mm-hmm. It's very nice to have you in L.A. with me. Aww. I liked it. It was fun. <laughs> Get to come home from the office and then there you are. I'm right there. You can't escape me. It's just like being at home, except it's not home. It's a hotel. Uh, well, yes. Technically, yes. But we, we, we did a lot together this week mm -hmm. while we were gone. And we'll, we'll talk about that coming up in just a few minutes. Indeed. First, before we get to that, uh, we would like to thank our newest patron, Heather. Hello, Heather. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction family. Now, you can help support the Big Gay Fiction podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For as little as 25 cents an episode, your pledge helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this very show. Now, for fans who pledge at the silver and gold levels, you'll have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests. Also, everyone who uh, pledges via Patreon also gets access to the bonus episodes that we do every single month. Bonus, bonus, bonus. <laughs> and in fact, we're going to be recording this month's bonus episode immediately following um, the recording of this episode. Indeed we will. And that bonus episode will be out for our patrons on Tuesday. Tuesday the, what, what date That is would it? be the 18th. 18th. Yay! Yay for the 18th. So, um... Uh, the closing of this section is going to be... Yes! Okay, I had to look at my list, I'm sorry. Um, you can get details on how to become a patron at uh, www.patreon.com forward slash Big Gay Fiction Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So, recently I got to talk to Christina Piltz, who is joining us as part of the GRL blog tour. For this uh, particular blog tour season, mm -hmm. uh, it was quite enjoyable talking to Christina, especially after talking to Cat Sebastian. So recently, also because both of these authors uh, do historicals, and uh, in particular, we talk about uh, Oliver Twist, which is a heavy influence on Christina's work. So here's Christina to tell us all about it. Today, I welcome Christina Piltz to the podcast as part of the 2017 GRL blog tour. Christina is an author of historical fiction, and her love for historicals began with a classroom reading of Little House on the Prairie by Laura Ingalls Wilder. She loves coffee, road trips, and history. She supports the Oxford comma, and she writes every day. 
passionate about what she does, her stories will transport you to England in the year 1846. Welcome, Christina. Hey, thanks for having me on the show today. Oh, our pleasure. So before we actually dive into the questions that I know we want to talk about, what's the support about the Oxford comma about? Um, the Oxford comma is what you use when you have a string of two, uh, three or more nouns. So for example, you can say, I went to the store with Bob and Edna, or I went out with the strippers Hitler and Stalin. So if they are not strippers and you want them to be people, you have to put a comma after every single one of those nouns. And if you don't, then the strippers are named Hitler and Stalin. And so your meaning changes based on where those commas are or are not. Ah, see, I'm a horrible use, a comma <laughs> user. So it's good for me to hear these things. And I think they, they legally decided that it does make a difference if you use the Oxford comma or not, because it could make a difference in like a, an analysis of a crime or something where that comma is in the police report matters. Oh, wow. That was recently decided on this summer, so it's legally valid to use it in a certain way. See, I can't be a police officer then because I, I misuse commas all the time. <laughs> oh, anyway, on to what we want to talk about. Okay. So tell us about some of these literary pilgrimages that you've gone on. Well, I love to travel. So one of the things I did a couple of years ago was go to London so that I could scope out the places that are in my stories. So one thing I did is I went to number 48 Doty Street, which is where Charles Dickens lived when he wrote Oliver Twist and touched the desk that he used and all this good stuff, went up and down the stairs. The, there's a character in Fagin's Boy who lives at number 14 Doty Street. That's Mrs. Acton. She's kind of Oliver's nemesis. So it was fun to pick out her house and know where she lived. Um, it's part of my research. Any historical fiction author will tell you they love to do research. Another thing I did was in London at the same trip. I went from where the haberdashery is located to where the Three Cripples is located. Now, I based the haberdashery on a tavern called The Ship. And it's at 116 Wardour Street, so it's a real place. And it's a half an hour walk uphill to get to the Three Cripples. So if, and that's based on the One Ton, which is a real location that a lot of people think was the basis for the Three Cripples. So, you know, I just go, it's like a giant rabbit hole to go anywhere. And it's my secret pleasure. It's just what I love to do. It's the bonus for me, for being an author. It's my treat. That sounds like a really good treat, too. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. How did you decide on 1846 to, um, to be your time? There was a map. It, there, I, I was thinking I wanted a number that looked interesting in, in interesting font. 1844 was one year, and 1846 was the other one. I don't know why. I like even numbers. And there was a map by John Snow. It's called the John Snow Map, 1846. And I went online, and there was the map of London at a specific point in time. And I said, okay, 1846 it is. So it, it was also before a lot of things started to happen. Um, Victoria was still a young queen. There wasn't a train system. You know, they didn't have telegraphs. It was before a lot of modernization started to happen to Victorian London. So early, early Victorian London rather than later. So mm -hmm. kind of I could do more with it, I think. Mm -hmm. And certainly you got to, you know, use some of the Charles Dickens stuff as kind of jumping off points, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Places that he'd been or places he mentions. You know, I try to do research. What I'll do is open Google Maps and take the little Google man, and he goes for a little walk up these streets just so I can kind of get a feel. And sometimes the old buildings are gone, but there's photographs, and that's photography existed then, so there is a chance that I could get a real photograph of the real building. So mm -hmm. the research is definitely a time suck for me. <laughs> but a fun time suck, especially if you get to go do it in person. 
Yeah, every now and then. So the next trip may be a couple years from now. I'm hoping. Now, did you ever consider writing under a pseudonym for these books? Um, you know, I did. When I wrote fan fiction, I have a couple of pseudonyms I used. And if you have a mask to write behind, it makes you very brave. And it's not that I'm ashamed of that writing, but I, I think that I decided to write under my real name for historical fiction. And then perhaps to get in touch with those places inside of me that are a little shy, I would come up with a different pseudonym and write contemporary male male romance. So I really have been considering this. I think that it would um, it would definitely help help my writing because mm -hmm. when writing is yourself, you know, grandma and grandpa are watching you, even if they're not alive, <laughs> they're still watching you. And I, I'm not ashamed, but I think there's just some adaptability and anonymity that the mask will give me. So I'm yeah thinking about it really really hard. Interesting. Well, I look yeah. forward to hearing. If you share your pseudonym, more about that perhaps in the future. Okay. Um, I do. If you want to know what it is, if the if the rubber hits the road, it's going to be J.E. Blue. And J is for Jack. E is for Elizabeth, which is my middle name. And Blue, because that's my favorite color. And uh, a writer named by the name of uh, P.D. Singer says, well, initials are hard to search on. And I said, I don't think J.K. Rowling would tell you that. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? And there's a lot of authors who do do it. It gives you kind of a an ambiguous gender, which is also useful for drawing in, um, you know, all kinds of different readers. I think they respond to that. So we'll see how we'll, we'll see how it turns out. Cool. We'll keep, we'll keep an eye out for that in the future. Okay, thank you. So writing does it exhaust or energize you? Well, I think that it energizes me if I make it part of my everyday schedule. You know, those people they get up at five in the morning and they say they go for a run and it sets them up for the entire day. That's what writing does to me if I do it. I've been kind of in a slump recently because I'm coming to the end of my Oliver and Jack series and I just, I am loath to let it go. I've been doing it for over three years. I'm married to these guys. We're all married to each other. And I've decided that I'm going to write um, some novelettes. I've given myself permission to write about them whenever I want to. I'll write little novelettes, put a good cover on it, you know, edit it, put it through the whole thing and then just give those away. Mm -hmm. um, because I just, it makes me sad. And my friend Wendy Rathbone said, are you dragging your feet for a reason? I said, yes, yes I am. So after, hopefully after this interview, I'm going to get back in the saddle and do the whole 5.30 in the morning thing again and set myself up for the day. So yeah, I was doing it in the wintertime, so I don't know why I can't do it in the summertime. Maybe I feel lazy because it's warm. I don't know if writers, you know, temperature affects different writers differently. Yeah, a different environmental conditions I think you know can impact that and certainly seasonal would be mm -hmm. one of them is it yeah, is this your full-time gig or do you also balance the day job as you're writing I, I definitely balance the day job I am a technical writer I've been doing it for about 20 years I have a great job a terrific boss but um you know it takes away 40 hours a week yeah so I have to really get up early and be devoted to that time and I was I was devoted and then I fell off the wagon so you you'll get back on it I, I am very, yeah, I'm very i confident so. so what does literary success look like to you well um I was thinking about that I think literary success means to me something that I think sounds really boring um and I shouldn't ascribe that to it but what it is is that I don't have to go to my corporate job I get up and I write I have my cup of coffee I get the chores done and have breakfast and do all that stuff. And then I go have coffee with my writer friends. And then in the meantime, I plan trips and I take them. And that's it. I don't want a Jaguar. I don't want to, you know, 
in built-in pool or anything like that or a fancy car. Just time to do those things that I want to do. And lots of trips to London, of course. That's what it looks like. And people enjoying my books. I've gotten a couple of letters recently from readers and engaging with them in that and talking about my characters. I think that would make me supremely happy. But I did find one of these points of success. P.D. Singer, the woman I mentioned, uh, belongs to a group called Out in Colorado, which is a bunch of writers in the Colorado area who write male-male romance or just fiction. You know, there's detective stories and you know, fireman stories and shifter and paranormal. They've just been so welcoming and warm and kind and sharing all their information with me. So that part of my, you know, my dream of being an author has has really come true. I've been able to connect with people who do who do what I do. That's fantastic. Is, yeah, it is fantastic. I got lucky that way. Now you mentioned you 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 do a lot of research. Yes. So what, what nature is the research and then how long do you spend before you actually dive in and write? Well, I am very self-indulgent. I will research until it's time for me to stop and I have to go to bed. I love, you know, taking that little Google man for a walk, going on the internet and looking for the right picture, pictures of characters or places they've been or the bed they sleep in. You know, it's a, it's a giant rabbit hole. And for example, I've seen every version of Oliver Twist ever made. <laughs> including the cartoon from the 70s. Um, so I know, and I've read the book, like backwards and forwards, audio book. I've read it like a hundred times. So when the movies come out, I know what they've left out. I know what they put in. Though I will tell you, the first time I read Oliver Twist was in seventh grade, and I was shocked to find out that Fagin got hung. He was hung at Newgate. And the movie that I had seen up to that point, he happily goes off with Jack Dawkins at the end of the movie, dancing and singing, Right. He, but he dies, and Jack Dawkins gets deported to who knows where. But in the movie I saw, you know, they dance off, and they're going to go start another gang and pick pockets and live happily ever after. So, you know, research reveals things to me that make it fun to write about. And I will go on and on about this because it's what I love to do. I think and any historical fiction author will tell you the same. That's what they love about writing historical fiction is they have a great excuse to go to the library, the bookstore, on a trip to wherever – yeah. Do you have a favorite movie version of Oliver Twist? Well, I saw the 1969 musical when I was seven. Of course, I fell in love with Oliver Twist then. I, I'm not a fan of Roman Polanski's version that was in 2005 because I felt like it was somewhat static the way he told it. People in the, in the scenes tend to just stand around instead of doing stuff. And I was like, eh. There was a BBC version put out in 1995, I think it was. And it was just perfect because um, they just did interesting things with the storyline. They explained what happened to Oliver's real father. You know, they expanded on it. So that was a that was a good one. I think my favorite's the 1969 version, though, definitely. The singing and the dancing, yeah. Okay. So in the research, do you find that you, like, plot your book and then get the research you need for it, or are you researching to make your plot? What's, what's kind of the chicken and the egg to that? The chicken and the egg, that's a good question. I think that um, I get a story idea, and like in college, I over-prepare for the final exam on the first day. I'm already ready. And so I will plot, and then I'll stop like for two months and just do all the research, and then come back and fill in. Like I think uh, one example was um, in the Victorian era, they paint those fence posts, those iron fence posts, blue or green whereas today we paint them black so i feel really like 
dun, 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 I know this little fact that I can draw on while I'm writing. So I think the answer to your question is I do both at the same time. I plot and I research because then I stop and then I go down that rabbit hole. So, yeah, they're at the same time. So GRL is practically in your backyard this year. Um, yes. What are you looking forward to? I am looking forward to knowing what's going on. The first year I went was about two years ago to San Diego. I had no idea that it wasn't like a convention with panels where you discuss ideas. It wasn't a writer convention. It was a reader convention. This is set on for the readers. They get to meet the authors. They get to ask you questions. Um, we had a luau, which I thought was a lot of fun. And you sit with the people who've read your books or are going to read your books, and you're there for them. And I thought, oh, that's completely different. So this year... A, it's in my backyard, so it's not going to be as expensive. And B, I know what's coming. I know to have my books ready, pre-orders, um, you know, have information for them, which I didn't have the last time. I was just completely taken aback by the whole thing. And it was a lot of fun, but this year I'm ready. And I get to meet people that I've met on Facebook, too. The readers that have written in are going to be there, so that's going to be nice. More like a, a, a slumber party than um, a convention with panel discussions. <laughs> That's a good description of it. It's like one big four-day slumber party. Oh, and it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. A very, you have to be ready. You can't have a cold when you go. You have yeah. to be like in prime, healthy condition. And to then keep you up. get sick when you get back. That's kind of yes. a given. Yes. yes, as a matter of course, yes. So I understand that you've got a giveaway for our listeners. Uh, tell yes. us what that's about and what they need to do to enter. Well, I've got um, five five things that I'm going to be giving away. These... Uh, the first one is going to be, it's a, a word cloud t-shirt. And what that means is they've taken words from Oliver Twist and they put it on the t-shirt. So the words show up in like a grid and it, you look at it and you understand what the story is, even though there's no title. And there's also going to be a mug with a different word cloud. These, I had so much fun picking these out. And then there's going to be a unabridged copy of Oliver Twist because a lot of my readers have written in saying, oh, I haven't read Oliver Twist, but I really thought your story was good kind of told me that they'd like the chance to read it, you know, and if somebody sends them a book, maybe they will. And then there was a, um, a the movie and CD combo of this 1969 version. You can buy this little packet that contains the DVD and the CD, so I thought that would be fun. And so that's pretty much it. So two t-shirts, a mug, a book, and the movie CD combo. So anybody can come and enter once a day. It's set up so that the if you leave a blog post comment, you have to answer the question, who fell in love with who first? Did Jack fall in love with Oliver or did Oliver fall in love with Jack? And there's no wrong answer, of course. I just want to know what people think. <laughs> and that's worth one point. And then two points if you sign up for uh, my newsletter, which which is useful for me so that I can reach out to more readers. So sure. you can do both of those or one of them. You can do it up to once one time a day for those. And they'll be like a week long for the, for the raffle. And at the end, Rafflecopter will spin through its machinations and then pick out five winners and then we'll figure out who gets what and you have to be in the u.s and canada to enter because i can't ship yeah. to anywhere else i'm sadly yeah. maybe, maybe next time i'll figure out a better way but this is what this is what i have i think it'll be fun i think uh, that sounds awesome and that uh, yeah. raffle copter people will find that on the show notes for this okay. episode yes there'll be a you'll give them a link and they can just go straight to there on the 17th which is when this interview airs, mm -hmm. that's the day that the Rafflecopter um, giveaway will become active. Awesome. Yeah. So what's the best way for, re for people to keep up with you online? Well, I've got a Twitter account, so you just enter Christina E. Pills in Twitter, all one word, 
and um, of course at my blog www.christinaepills.com then Christina Pills at Yahoo this is all if you go to my blog or my website then you can find all that information on my contact page um, that's pretty much the best ways right now to, to reach me um, yeah I think that's it excellent we will link up to all that plus uh, your yeah. Amazon page so people can find all right. the books so as well yeah, Amazon, and I'm also at Kobo and then variety of other places through draft to digital mm-hmm. uh, Apple I believe is one of those places awesome well Christina thank you so much for being with us it's been excellent talking to you well thank you so much for having me the Big Gay Fiction Podcast is thrilled to once again partner with Gay Romlet as a featured blogger. You can see all the participating blogs and the full GRL blog tour schedule at gayromlet.com slash 2017 blog tour. Gay Romlet is an annual retreat that brings together the people who create and celebrate LGBT romance for a one-of-a-kind must-attend gathering of dynamic, informal, and diverse fun. Each year, the retreat travels to a new city and hosts tons of events from raucous parties to mellow tete-a-tetes while still maintaining a spirit of familiarity. GRL is the place to connect with old friends, find family you didn't know you had, and meet with both newly published and established authors in the gay romance genre. This year's retreat is set for October 19 through 22 in Denver, Colorado at the Denver Marriott Tech Center. For more information or to register, please visit gayromlet.com. Want to be among the first to know what's coming up on the Big Gay Fiction Podcast? Join the Big Gay Fiction Podcast monthly newsletter. As a subscriber, you'll get our exclusive coloring pages that you can download and color. You can even send us your artistic creations and we'll display them in our online gallery. Go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com and sign up on the homepage. So while we were away, we we both read a lot. (laughs) And you, in particular, have a new dream spin to talk about. Yes, this week I want to talk about All In by Ava Drake. Now, All In is the third installment in her Wild Card series. Um, I've enjoyed all of the Wild Card books. Um, the first one, which was Ace in the Hole, um, if you go back into the archive, when I, when I first reviewed this one... Um, I, it left me kind of scratching my head. I enjoyed the book, but I wasn't necessarily um, expecting a romantic suspense story. So I was kind of like, huh? Um, <laughs> but by the second book, I knew what to expect. Uh, and I absolutely fell in love with the second one called Seven Card Stud. Um, that book is amazing. Um, if you guys haven't read it, please read it. Um, it's Cuckoo Bananas in the absolute <laughs> best possible way. Um, that book went uh, above and beyond romantic suspense into like uh, spy-fi territory. Uh, there's like all sorts of crazy stuff going on at the end. It's absolutely amazing. Um, this book, the third one, All In, kind of takes that action back down a notch. Uh, and we get a little bit closer to sort of like a, a bodyguard detective. More of a traditional romantic suspense vibe. So, this particular book involves Zane. He is a male model who is uh, approaching his expiration date. He's almost 30. I know. So, um, uh, he's had some uh, wild and crazy years, uh, and he sort of escaped to London uh, to work over there and get his life back on track. Uh, Now, he feels like his career is, like, coming to a close, so he's come back to the U.S., uh, in New York specifically, to kind of 
get you know a couple of last jobs and use the money to uh, finance his future endeavors. He's going to study some design, that sort of thing. Maybe become a stylist, designer. That anyway. Okay. So so he arrives. So he arrives in New York, only to be pulled aside. Uh, there seems to be some a problem with his luggage. Uh, uh -oh. It turns out um, there are some. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he's inadvertently. Uh, smuggled some goods into the country. Uh-oh. Oops. Um, luckily, he is saved by uh, Sebastian, uh, who is a former uh, Special Forces agent. Uh, he also happens to be a gazillionaire real estate mogul. Of course. And Sebastian has been tasked by the Wildcard uh, Company, which is the sort of connecting thread through all of the books they can all be read individually but um they all have something to do with wildcards inc so uh he has been um tasked with keeping an eye on these uh forgery plates that are uh coming into the u.s and trying to find out any connections to uh evil uh nefarious uh consortium that they've been tracking uh called herborus so uh, Sebastian gets Zane out of that particularly sticky situation, and um, they become reluctant allies and trying to figure out um, how they can track down the Herborous agents. Um, all sorts of um, detective spy things go down like a, a, a spoiled drop. Um, and what was nice about this book is is that both of the characters have interesting and complex backstories and part of the um part of the conflict of this particular story is they don't trust one another um mm. uh, sebastian isn't quite sure that zane is like naive as he seems he thinks that he may, you know, know more than he's letting on. Zane has no idea who this incredibly hot Sebastian guy is. Why is he helping me so much? Is he a part of this nefarious, you know, group of uh, international bad guys? I don't know. So, they, so what would normally be a pretty standard uh, conflict device um, actually makes real sense. Uh, and it's something that they explore throughout the book, as well as their smoking hot attraction to one another. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as in all of the Wild Cards books, the chemistry is explosive. Holy moly, Ava Drake is so good at characters who just are, like, ready to just, like, jump on each other at a moment's notice. Um, so, this book is a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of really great action. Uh, it's super sexy. And I also was really um, surprised by the end. Uh, the two main characters were uh, sort of just kind of in the normal detective vein, sort of following uh, a lead about these counterfeit uh, plates. Uh, when all of a sudden they <laughs> they come across uh, an agent for the uh, evil consortium and all hell breaks loose and to a, a really fantastic finale. Nice. So uh, like the other books in this series, I highly recommend All In by Ava Drake. Very cool. And we should mention while we're talking about Dream Spuns that within the last week, 
the Dreamspun Beyond line has started taking pre-orders for subscriptions. Uh, so you can get the subscriptions for the ebooks or the print books, which start coming out in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already got our subscription now because you know, we need those dream buttons. Uh, but we'll put a link in the show notes to uh, the subscription page if you have not picked yours up yet. Awesome. Now, you have been reading a lot as well. I did. Uh, or listening, mainly. You've been listening to a lot of audiobooks. Listening and reading. I figured out the, like the best way for me to read as much as I want is to have a book going in audio, mm-hmm. which I traditionally will listen to while I'm working out and while I'm having breakfast, and then to have one that I'm reading, which I read at night before bed. Or in the case of being on the plane, well, yeah, <laughs> either one of those works, <laughs> and I actually did both on these on the on the on our to and from on the on the plane. Okay, what's the first book you want to talk about? Uh, first is Marshall Thornton's uh, *Femme*, which came out in print and ebook last year, and just came out in June uh, in audio with uh, performed by Joel Leslie. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that it was Joel who actually put this book on my radar because he messaged me and said, "I really think you need to read this because." It tackles something that we don't see a lot in romance and is also an issue of sorts out in the gay community in general. And what we've got here in Femme is Lionel, who is a effeminate man who is a bartender, mm-hmm. and Dog, who, real name is Doug, but he gets called Dog for reasons that are explained in the book, <laughs> um, who is... Out of the closet with himself, but not out of the closet totally in his life. He does play on a gay softball league, which is how Lionel meets him, mm-hmm. because Dog and the softball guys come into the bar. Uh, they end up very drunkenly going home. As the as the book opens, they're actually waking up from their from their, their the, twist. The morning after. The morning Ooh. after. And um, <laughs> it's a real issue for Dog trying to resolve... His, his ongoing, growing feelings for Lionel when he feels like he should be going out with the alpha male that he is. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's been, you know, kind of instilled in his brain. Um, and beyond that, how he will per- perhaps introduce Lionel to his family or to his friends or even how the softball team will react if they become a couple. And this is further, like... The drama around this is further enhanced by the captain of the softball team actually giving Lionel a very hard time in the bar and ultimately getting Lionel fired because Lionel doesn't take any shit from anybody. (laughs) Look, I got us our E for the episode. Um, (laughs) Because if you you say something that, like, tries to tear him down, he will come back at you because he's not going to put up with that. He's very comfortable with who he is. And the person that he's become. Um, because he had a very difficult childhood as a femme growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of these dynamics of the alpha male versus the femme and the gay community. And even, Lionel even has to kind of butch himself up or so he feels to go to work in another bar when he gets fired. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating read on many levels. The romance... Between these two is so push and pull, but yet you know they both want to be together, and they kind of just got to sort it out. So it is a romance. So it, it you know they get there in the long run, but the journey is amazing. Um, the performance by Joel is outstanding. If you're a fan of Joel's, you got to pick up this book because hearing him do the voices between Dog and Lionel is is just. 
perfect. Uh, we're actually going to have Marshall and Joel on to talk about the book uh, later on in the fall. Cool. So that'll be fun. Awesome. And I should note, too, that this was a Lambda Literary Award finalist. So it's it's got some additional cred behind it. Pedigree. Yeah, pedigree. Even better. <laughs> Uh, the second book I read, and I kind of wish I waited on this for audio because I found out while I was in the middle of it that Derek McLean's actually doing the audio for this. It's T.J. Klune's Olive Juice that came out a couple months ago. Um, it's so good. I mean, everything that T.J. does is so good. So are you going to explain why the hell it's called Olive Juice? I'm not. You aren't? Nope. Ugh, good Lord. Okay. Not on air. Sorry. Okay. Well, what's it about? So, in this book, you've got David, who is your single point of view narrator, Mm -hmm. and his husband, Philip, who have gone through possibly, I would say, the worst thing that a parent, that parents could have happen. And I'm not going to go beyond that, because I'm not going to spoil the book. Uh, But the book takes place over a night. They they initially meet... For dinner, because Philip has said to David, I need to see you. They've been estranged for months. Hmm. Okay. Um, They meet at a restaurant where they used to go on these staycations, and they have, they try to have dinner. Um, Lots of conversation. I could see this book being translated into essentially a very tight chamber piece play. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, with one other person potentially playing all the other parts, if you restructured it just a little bit, uh, who play like the bartender and the the waiter and stuff, who has uh-huh. to drift it out. Yes. Um, it's this book is interesting in how TJ has made this work because much of this book too is also David's internal dialogue during the dinner, before and after the dinner, when they eventually get back to another the place that's not the restaurant because I'm trying not to spoil anything there. Um, and I, I it's not often you see a book that is so much internal dialogue with I, I would say that the book is probably 50% or more internal dialogue mm-hmm. for David mm-hmm. than any other dialogue that happens in the book. Uh, it's it's another extraordinary piece of of TJ kind of breaking the the bounds of what he writes. Um, and as you might have noticed, I said David and Philip are husbands. So this is also not a romance, in my view. So pick up T.J. Klune's Olive Juice. It's really good. You'll find out what the title means. Because <laughs> I'm not going to blow that here, because T.J. would come after me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really extraordinary. Cool. Um, and kudos to him, and I suspect I'll just pick up the audio when Derek releases it and, and have to give that a listen to, because it'll be interesting to see how he works with all this internal monologue. Um, yeah, to, that would be interesting. To yeah. make it come across what's internal to David and what's external being said to other characters. So, yeah. Cool. That's my stuff. All right. While we were away, we also, uh, besides reading... <laughs> Which we did a lot of. And Ubering... <laughs> There was a lot of Ubering oh, around the LA area. Lord have mercy, we Ubered everywhere. Anyway, we did um, not. We, I took you on an hour long train ride too. <laughs> so other than the Ubers and the train, we also saw some movies while we were in LA. Do you want to take it away with the first one? Sure. First up was uh, we went to one of the screenings of Falsettos, which we talked about last week. It's a live from Lincoln Center production. 
that was shot towards the end of Falsetto's run on Broadway during its recent revival last winter. Um, I loved it. This is the second time I've seen Falsetto's. My first was in an off-off limited Broadway production. Um, and that was good. This elevated it to greatness in my view. Um, I see why it got all of its Tony nominations. I see why they revived it. This cast and this creative crew Mm -hmm. did a stunning job with it. Um, the first act is still the weakest act because as Will will further elaborate when he talks about (laughs) it, there's a very, the storyline in the first act is very thin as this, you know, this slightly dysfunctional family with, a man leaving his wife for another man and this 10-year-old who doesn't quite get it, what's going on, and the dynamic with the psychiatrist who's treating both the husband and the wife and eventually the child. Uh, but then you get into the second act, which really delves into the beginning of AIDS, uh, introduces a doctor and her wife, um, and the dynamics get a lot more serious and yet somehow also a lot more funny, mm-hmm. which I don't, you know, it's very, it's interesting how they were all making all that work. And the casting was just tremendous. Uh, Christian Borle as the man who leaves his wife was outstanding as he always is. Andrew Rannells, I believe this is the first time we've seen him really in anything after he, he, he made his breakout in uh, Book of Mormon a few years back. Uh, but I thought... He, he really impressed me, and I loved his singing. There was something about his singing voice that I've never really heard much of it, and I really liked what he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephanie J. Block made the first act for me. Um, the songs that she sang as Trina's life was falling apart were just amazing, mm-hmm. and I loved them. And Tracy Toms and uh, Betsy... Betsy Wolf. Betsy Wolf as the doctor and her catering wife really also... Uh, perked up the second act mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you do your you do your review first, and then I'll say the rest of all the, the people can still see it stuff. Um, briefly, a history. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. Um, uh, originally, uh, Falsettos was uh, a one-act off-Broadway. Mm-hmm. Okay. An off-Broadway one-act play called March of the Falsettos. Mm-hmm. Later came its sequel called falsetto land mm-hmm. now when they revived it they simply put them both together well no ish <laughs> there was an on broadway revival an on broadway production which was the first time they were joined when it was called falsettos and that happened okay. in the middle 90s somewhere okay with the original cast most uh, of the original cast from the off broadway two productions okay okay so what we have now is falsettos i personally um i've never um, we've had, I, uh, I've never really listened to the CDs cause I never could get into them. Sometimes there are shows, uh, while for when you listen to them in audio form, they just don't translate that well. You kind of have to see them on stage and see it brought to life by the magic theater. Um, <laughs> this wasn't one of those things for me. So I never really, uh, uh I don't know the show all that well. Um, I hate it. I hate literally hate um march of the falsettos which is act one of this particular show it is horrible people uh being mean uh and stupid i hate act one act two uh which is falsetto land uh is much much better uh there's an actual story going on in act two uh and i enjoyed that 
Um, if we had been in New York while this play was running, we would have undoubtedly have gone to seen it uh, because uh, the cast is amazing. Despite my dislike of the actual material, the cast was phenomenal. Loved every single one of them. Mm -hmm. They're really, really amazing. Um, so my my only you know kibitz is with uh, Act One. So I liked half of it. <laughs> well, I think you liked bits of Act One because we talked about this, and you liked as as I did. Stephanie J. Block's solos in Act One were well, really good. Stephanie could do anything. She's amazing. She has this whole <laughs> cooking moment that was just a riot. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and we should say that. Because uh, Falsettos is doing so well in the theaters from this week's uh, showings, in particular even the debut on the 12th, that it's extending its run across the country until July 26th, depending on the theater. But they're also adding theaters. So you can go to falsettosincinema.com or check the show notes, and you can go see where it's playing. And it's also expanding up into Canada a little later in the month. Awesome. So... Given that this does not have an air date on PBS at this point, if you want to see it, we highly recommend going to the theaters. It's only 15 bucks, and it's really worth it. Mm -hmm. Now, we extended our L.A. trip by a day so that we could go experience Outfest. Yes. Which was awesome. <laughs> we saw two... We saw a movie, and I guess you'd call it a movie, since they said it was a theatrical version of Eastsider Season 3. Well, yes, technically, yes. Um, we got to see Jay Bell's, uh, the adaptation of Jay Bell's Something Like Summer, which I've read the book, and it just made me soon and made me cry rather a lot towards the end for reasons of you, those of you who've read it, you know why you cry at the end of the book. Um, they made a really solid translation of the book. Uh, there are There's a lot of condensation in it, just... Everything happens faster because it all happens within the span of about two hours. And so there are scenes from the book that you just aren't going to find in the movie. And there are things that are consolidated to happen faster than when you've read the book than you may like. It didn't bother me. I love what they've done. They've expanded Ben's singing a lot. Uh, there's a lot of singing that happens inside his head. Which I really love because you know, I like musicals, and then you musicalize Ben's feelings, and I'm I'm into that. <laughs> but it all happened in his head, so it wasn't like people were singing out in the real life, in the real world. Uh, the cast they assembled um, for Ben and Allison and uh, Tim and Jace were just so spot on, and they aged up pretty well over the span of the twelve years, um, especially Tim and uh, Ben. So, yeah, look for it as it, 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 hopefully it'll hit a couple more festivals and then hopefully they'll get distribution on it. They talked about going into it that it was their largest attendance of the festivals they've been at so far. So hopefully it's a sign that the movie's getting some, some pickup and some, some notice so it can get some distribution out there and mm -hmm. make its way out to more peeps. Yes. Now, uh, you've never read the books. No, I, I've never read the books. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I think it was very well done. Uh, and I'm eager for the rest of the world to see it as well. So hopefully they will get a distribution deal very, very soon. Yeah. Um, so uh, after the movie, we were unable to stick around for the Q&A afterwards. We had to Uber off to the next location of our Whirlwind Outfest tour. <laughs> uh, and we went and saw the world premiere of the first four episodes of season three of Eastsiders. Yes. 
Now, people know if you've watched consistently over the past few weeks that we had Kit uh, Williamson and John Halbach on talking about season three a little bit and the Kickstarter they were doing, uh, which was successful. So they've actually been shooting two more episodes uh, very recently out in Palm Springs. Uh, I think this is my favorite season of Eastsiders okay. thus far. Interesting. Um, somebody in the Q&A, because we could stick around for the Q&A on this one, uh, mentioned that this was like a chamber piece because most of this episode happens between uh, Cal and Tom going across country in this little teeny tiny trailer. Um, and it gives them this moment to really analyze their relationship after what I believe was supposed to be a year living in New York, a year or more maybe living in New York. Um, and it was just really touching how they kind of moved through talking about the various things that they thought could be wrong with their relationship or might be right with their relationship. Uh, there were also some very funny moments as they picked up a drifter who was played by Colby. Colby Keller. Yeah. Holy moly. That I hot. would pick Colby Keller up too. <laughs> <laughs> um, they also picked up another couple uh, while they were staying over somewhere, and I believe it was outside of Portland, uh, with Wilson Cruz. Uh, but really, the the stuff between Cal and Tom, I really, really liked. Mm-hmm. And it really touched me, and it was also funny, and it was just like, that was just perfect. Mm-hmm. So, uh, while they're putting the finishing touches on season three, there is no firm uh, release date for this season. Uh, it will be sometime this Winter, yeah, we are we are told sometime in late 2017. So we have that to look forward to. Yes, along with those last two episodes. Uh, indeed, I can't wait. They sound uh, from what we've heard. Uh, I can't wait. They're going to be really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So also while we were away, uh, I spent a few minutes talking to Joyfully Jay. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, who's got some book recommendations for us, and also for you, Jordan L. Hawk fans out there, uh, she's got a bit of a little summer trip that she took that you're going to be very interested in. I'm excited to have Jay back on the podcast from Joyfully Jay. How's it going? Hi, Jeff. How are you? Doing very good, thanks. Good. It's been way too long since we've had you on. I know. I was thinking about that. I think it's been since maybe the winter, even. So I think so. Yeah, yeah. I've missed you guys. We missed you, too. And we're going to try and get better at scheduling things, for sure. No problem. So you've been reading a book that I'm desperate to read, so I'm looking forward to your take. You've read Heart of Steel from Avon and Roan. Yes, yes. I um, I read that for last week. The review actually went up and um, totally went crazy for it, which um, isn't really surprising because Roan Parrish and Avon Gale are both great writers. And so I wasn't surprised to like it, but I was surprised... I guess why I liked it so much, because it's for people who aren't familiar. Um, the setup is that these guys meet at a party and Will meets um, this man, Vaughn, who is a billionaire, now I can't say it, philanthropist. And um, they meet, are instantly attracted and have this hot hookup. And the next day, Will opens his door and this picture that he'd been admiring in his host's home is sitting outside his door because Vaughn has stolen it for him. Um, And the sort of punchline to all of this is that Will is an FBI art crimes investigator. So um, it's a definite meet cute and I love that. But I think what's interesting is the story is not um, a cops and robbers suspense type book, which is sort of the direction I assumed it was gonna go in. 
But what's really, I think they do so well is they take these two personas, the sort of billionaire gentleman thief kind of thing and the uptight FBI guy. And instead of making the story about their jobs, they really make the characters about their jobs and they show so much how um, how Vaughn's personality is affected by being this wealthy man who is used to having everything that he wants and sort of being able to control his world and control the rules. And that's part of the reason he sort of gets away with all of these weird thefts that he does. Um, and then you have Will, who's this very rigid, controlled, black and white kind of guy. And most of the story is really a total character-driven relationship development story. So um, I went crazy for it, and everyone I've talked to has gone crazy for it. So definitely I recommend it if you're interested, um, because it was so good and so engaging and super sexy and very romantic. So definitely loved it. Yeah, with that, it's moving to the top of my TBR. It was pretty on top anyway, because it's Avon and Roan. <laughs> I sold it. But I I'll sold just it. move it that much further up. Yes, yes, yes. So what else have you been reading that you're that you're into right now? Well, I just um, actually am currently reading um, Hush by Tal Bauer, which I'm really excited about. Um, you might know Tal has the Enemies of the State series, which is, I believe, I, we've reviewed it, but I think it's the president and his secret service. Um, and this one is a thriller between a um, judge and the U.S. Marshal who's assigned to the courthouse to um, to guard and protect the judges in the judiciary system. So it's really interesting because it's a super thriller, but it also, the beginning is very much a um, building the relationship between these two men. And um, what I'm finding really engaging, now I'm only in the first portion of it, so I haven't finished it yet, but what I'm finding really engaging is that um, the judge has been in the closet basically his entire life. He was sort of out in college and then realized after some um, very sort of stern talking from his professor that he needed to stay closeted if he was ever going to have a career in the law, or he was led to believe that. So what's really interesting is after reading, you know, 8,000 stories about people coming out, um, which is obviously a common theme in the genre, this is really just so well done the way she describes his whole experience of what made him be closeted for so long and that feeling like that his life as an out gay man has sort of passed him by and he's missed this whole revolution where suddenly it's okay to be out and be married and walk around with a man, you know, outside in the street and all of that. And how hard it is to sort of reorient his life now to this completely new perspective that he can have this relationship and he can be out and how that's affecting him. So I'm finding it really interesting. And we're just getting these little teasers of the suspense plot, which I think is going to sort of take over in the second half of the book. So I'm really excited about that. I've enjoyed the other um, books I've read of Tal, so I'm really excited about it. Very cool. Yeah, it's nice to get a different take on a coming out story sometimes, because there's only so many ways to go, and this right. sounds like a nice, unique one. Yeah, yeah. It's Like I said, it's really interesting, because you really get a good sense of um, like almost that terror, not of people finding out, but of just sort of changing the whole way he looks at the world and how hard that is. As, I mean, of course, they say, you know, he's sort of older. He's like the same age as me. Um, but, you know, this man in his mid-40s, but just having this sort of life has passed him by. And can he still reach for that even now at this stage of his life? So really, 
really interesting, and um, I'm really excited to see sort of how the suspense plot then takes over for the, you know, the romance that's sort of the focus right now. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that review is going to be out, I believe, next week. So I'll get you the link and information for that. Awesome. That's awesome. So what are you looking forward to in the next few weeks that you're going to pick up soon? That I'm going to be reading. Um, I'm really excited. New series by KJ Charles. Um, the first book is out, I believe, the first week in August called Spectred Isle. And I love KJ Charles and I've loved every single thing that she's written. So I'm super excited about that one. Um, I'm also really looking forward to new Annabeth Albert, who's another favorite of mine. She has a book coming out August 1st. Um, trust with a chaser. So I'm excited. I believe both of those are new books in a series. I know for sure KJ Charles's is a series. So um, I'm really excited because both of them are go-to authors for me. So they're sort of creeping up on my TBR list. So I'm excited to be able to get to those. Nice. Now I understand you've traveled recently and you took a little trip that uh, some Jordan L. Hawk fans might be kind of jealous of. Yeah, yeah. I um, went to Charleston um, my kids are actually, believe it or not, both out of the country right now. And um, so I said to my husband, like, we're doing something because there's no way I'm just sitting around while our kids are in Europe. So we um, went to Charleston, which we'd never been to before. And um, if you're fans of Jordan L. Hawk's Spectre series, the series takes place in Charleston. And in fact, the city is a very prominent um, part of the story. So there's lots of things that are very um were recognizable. So I had made a comment about how I was going and Jordan actually sent me a list of some of the different places where scenes take place in the um, series. And so I had such a great time by dragging my poor husband around like to John's house because John's house is at this street. And I realized we were a block away and I said, we're going and we're taking a picture. <laughs> so um, I got to see John and Gray and Caleb's house, which um, is in the part of town that they would need to be millionaires, not government employees to live in, but um, that's typical. Um, and I got to see um, Fort Sumter, which is where a humongous climactic scene at the end of the first season takes place. And so that was really cool because I had this image in my head because it's an expansive scene of what it was gonna look like and it's actually quite small. Um, so it was sort of fun to imagine, you know, gray there fighting and, um, you know, there's a church spire where a lot of, um, you know, where Gray sort of perches and looks out on the city. And um, the most recent story takes place in College of Charleston, which was right around the corner for us and Marion Square. So it was really fun. I had a good time sort of taking a little bit of a field trip around the city and um, checking out all the places um, that these guys have been and where they live. And I um, posted them on Facebook. So that was really fun. A lot of um, people who are fans of the books got to see the pictures and they uh, enjoyed seeing their house and their street and all of that. So that was really fun. That's very cool. Jordan needs to make like a visitor guide of, you know, the city. This could be like a new business for people, you know, when they have a, a real town, um, letting people, telling people where to find things because it was really fun. Yeah, Sort absolutely. of a scavenger hunt. It happens all the time with TV shows. I know like friends go to Atlanta and they do the Walking Dead tour. Oh, yeah, for yeah. everything around Atlanta and, like, wherever they filmed Dawson's Creek back in the day. Oh, yeah, right, right, in North Carolina. In North Carolina, they go through all that stuff. And now Vampire Diaries, same kind of thing. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. Well, yeah, it was it was really fun. And um, yeah, I always get that because I live in the D.C. area. So I'm always, like, super critical about how things were written. Um, but uh, 
this was really interesting to see, like when authors use a real place and really real landmarks, you know, not that it just takes place there, but specific stores and specific streets. Um, it was really fun. That's very cool. Well, Jay, we thank you so much for giving us all this all this cool stuff. And uh, I'm no pretty much going to go one-click that uh, Heart of the Steel right now. Yes, for sure, for sure. And uh, we'll see you back hopefully in just a few weeks now. That sounds great. The new adult hockey romance, Rivals, by Jeff Adams, is now available in audiobook as performed by Derek McLean. Mitchell Turner and Alex Goodman squared off on the ice throughout high school. Their rivalry was tough on Mitchell because he harbored a huge crush on Alex. With high school and college behind them, they meet unexpectedly on Thanksgiving Day, once again on the ice. Mitchell is thrilled to see his one-time adversary all grown up. With their rivalry in the past, could this be the start of something magical for the holidays and beyond? Written by Jeff Adams and performed by Derek McLean, Rivals is available at Amazon.com, Audible, and iTunes. Also available in ebook. Get your copy today. And as we wrap up for this week, just a very quick reminder to check out the Rafflecopter on the show notes page where you will find Christina Piltz's giveaway for some of those groovy prizes that she's got. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Be sure and check that out, guys. So coming up next week in episode 94, Lambda award-winning YA author Bill Cunningsberg will be here. Yeah, very excited to have him on the show. Uh, you'll remember a few months ago, I was just over the moon for Honestly Ben, and we, we talk about that and Openly Straight and some of his other books and what's coming up next for him. Awesome. That sounds good. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter if you have a book. So until next time, keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.